we have been conditioned to understand the government's finances through a lens that we're most familiar with, that is our own. And what's wrong with that is that the federal government is nothing like a household. And the key difference between them and the rest of us is that they get to issue the currency. The United States government is the issuer of the dollar and the rest of us just use it. So households, private businesses, state and local governments have to get the dollar before they can spend it. They have to get money. The federal government has to spend the dollar before the rest of us can get it. And so they play by an entirely different set of rules. And I mean, even Bernie Sanders, who you advise, sort of often lapses into talking about you know, being given the how do you pay for it question and coming up with the answer, well, this, this is the way that the taxes would cover it. But what you suggest is that we shouldn't even think of a one-to-one correlation between taxes and government spending. Taxes are important, but they serve a very different function. And these two things should be, basically, we should take them apart in our our minds. And that's that's very difficult because we always, we think of, well, a sensible universal healthcare program, you know, here's the taxes that would cover it, and here's why the, the, the budget adds up. But, but you've got to suggest throwing away the whole framework. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. It is not helpful, nor is it good economics, and I don't think it's good politics either, to continue to link these two things, to insist that every time you want to spend a dollar into the economy on some program, maybe it's healthcare, you have to have a dollar coming out of the economy to pay for it. And so I think it would be much better, both politically and in terms of the actual budgeting process and the economics, if we decouple these things and we have separate analysis, you know, should we raise a tax, you know, and what tax should we think about raising and why might we increase that tax? Should we increase spending on education, infrastructure, healthcare, and by how much and to what aim, right? What is the policy goal? So these can be, and I think should be, separate discussions, but you're right. We are locked into this mentality that tells us that if the government wants to spend another dollar, it's got to come up with a dollar. And that then forces politicians to put out a blueprint so that they can say, you know, I'm, I'm for this program. You say, well, how are you going to pay for it? Well, I'm going to collect up all the dollars I need by raising mm-hmm. this tax or that class or uh, tax or closing these loopholes or whatever the case may be. I just want to be clear because so the framework that you operate in is called modern monetary theory. And, you know, you are part of a school of what is called heterodox economists who are challenging a lot of conventional dogmas. The caricature of your framework is that the government can spend infinite money technically because it has you know access to the printed therefore it is sensible to spend infinite money and there are no constraints on on the government's purse you know the the the, the cruel thing is mmt says for magic money tree oh you could just you know we we can have anything we want because the government can print as much money as it wants now you're not saying that you you say there are very real constraints on what the government should spend and 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 excessive spending will have negative consequences how should we think about how much the government can or should really spend. Okay, so first, let's recognize that even having the so-called printing press or the power of the purse doesn't mean that you can have anything you want, right? Look at where we were three months ago 
in terms of, or even today, frankly, but three months ago, in terms of ventilators, masks, and other PPE, Congress could authorize all the spending it wanted, but guess what? We couldn't have those things because they weren't available. They hadn't been produced or they were going to other countries or whatever, right? We could not have them, even though we could afford them. So that's the first point. The second point is that you're absolutely right. Saying, recognizing that governments that are issuers of a sovereign currency face no hard financial constraint is not the same as saying governments that issue their own currency face no constraints. There are limits. So right now, Congress is spinning out multi-trillion dollar spending bills, right? The House has passed five. The Senate has passed four. The House has teed up another three trillion. They're ready to go. So we could see Congress spending six, seven trillion dollars, something like that, right? In very short order. The question is, would that be excessive? And my response is no, not in this economic environment. Why? Because the economy is so depressed, because tens of millions of Americans have lost jobs, because businesses are struggling to get customers into the door where it's safe and open to do so. So there is a lot of room for the government to provide support in the form of you know, fiscal support in this economic environment. Now, at some point, God willing, the economy will get closer to full employment. We will recover and the labor market will tighten up and the fiscal space will begin to diminish. And that's a good thing because then Congress will not need to provide as much fiscal support. And if we were to continue passing multi-trillion dollar bills at that point, the punishment for that would show up in the form of inflation. So the limit that you're asking about is our economy's real resource capacity. We have the people we have, we have the machines we have, we have the factories we have, we have the technology we have, we have the raw materials. Those are our means of production. Those are our material means. And once we exhaust them, once they're all used and being put to use, then any additional attempt to spend into an economy that is maxed out is going to produce bottlenecks in production and inflationary pressures. And so how do you how do you determine that? How do you calculate that? How do you figure that out, right? Because you know the the sort of wrong thinking about the budget has this really easy thing where they go, "Oh, it's like it's almost just a rule of thumb, like if you spend more than you take in, that's bad." But if if you accept that that's not the right way of thinking about it, then how do you figure out what's too much? So, it's a good question. We we are doing an audio podcast, but I'm looking at you. So, I'm going to hold this up and then I'll describe it, right? Cuz we're yeah. I'm holding up a six, oh, no, a 12 ounce can. I'm holding up a 12 ounce can of delicious didoxorubin. Okay. So I know this is 12 ounces of liquid. I know that. Now, if I had a glass in here, which I don't have, let's suppose I had a 12 ounce glass. It's empty, right? I have an empty 12 ounce ga- glass and I have a 12 ounce can of soda. I know that I can empty that can of soda into my glass and I can fill it all the way to the top. And I can do it in a way that is measured and controlled because I can see if I'm pouring too fast, the foam is going to start and it's going to pour over and I'm going to have a sticky mess on my counter and so forth, right? Or I can do it in a very controlled and deliberate way and I can avoid the spillover. Now, that's easy because I can see the glass. I know it's a 12-ounce glass and I know exactly what I'm working with and I can control the whole thing. The economy is not like that. We can't see the economy's full capacity. What we can do is attempt to get measurements, you know? 
trying to take a temperature for the economy's heating up. How hot is it getting in here, right? And so what do you look at? You look at unemployment. You look at capacity utilization rates. We have the data for things like this. So people go out and actually survey businesses and say, how much of your total capacity right now are you using? And they say, we're using about 68%. Okay, well, I know that there's a lot of spare capacity. You can do it by occupation. If you're looking to do a big infrastructure project and you look at the unemployment rates by occupation and you see, wow, construction workers, there isn't much unemployment in construction, engineering, architects. They're almost all you know, fully employed. You don't want to roll out a big infrastructure project in that because you're going to put pressure on prices in that industry. So what I'm saying is we've been here before. We did this in World War II. We massively ramped up government spending and we did it without a whole lot of forethought because it was war. So you got to act fast. And, you know, we had workers working double and triple overtime, wage pressure, price pressures, but we managed it pretty well. I mean, you know, we didn't have a hyperinflation episode or anything like that. So we won the war. And then we ended up with the longest period of peacetime prosperity in our nation's history to that point. So it's going to be imperfect. It's not, you, you know, you can't operate an economy with perfect certainty, but economists have models and surveys and ways to attempt to, uh, you know, avoid pushing things beyond the limit. 